So for the last uh, four weeks, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling Church Blueprint. And we've been uh, kind of diving into the topic of what is the church, and we've been thinking about how to navigate the future. And I think, you know, when I was um, praying about it this week, about kind of like what was the, um, I guess, the inspiration for us was to really weigh in on um, what's the future going to look like for us, and how are we going to get there? Because more than ever, and I've, I know I've said this before, but it's like growing, you know, we have a purpose in our community. We have a reason for being here um, and that we have a calling by God. And part of that calling is, is just being stirred up a little bit. And so we want to talk about, you know, why we exist and what we do and things like that. Um, and it really gets us to, to ask us questions about our, our mission and our vision, you know, and so for six years now, almost six years, we've been talking about how our mission here at the Vineyard is, is something that we really believe strongly, is that we exist to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And what I mean by that, and I'm never going to stop pulling away from that, because I think that is the biblical challenge for us, is that we need to know Jesus deeply. Everybody in here should be growing in your relationship with Jesus. Every single week, every single month, every single year, you should be moving towards centering your life more on Jesus, but we also are called to share that knowledge with the world around us, and so we want to know Jesus and make him known. Um, we want to burn with that passion of helping other people come to know Jesus. So that's our, our mission, but our vision is a little bit more broad in the sense that we want to change the world. We want to see the entire world transformed, but we want to start here in Red Bluff, and it's kind of the 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 tension of being involved locally in missions, right? Seeing people impacted here in, in our community and also being committed to global missions too. So that's why we do things in Mexico or, or we've done things in China or other countries all over the world. And, and really kind of, I guess, through this sermon series, I'm, I'm thinking we can kind of lift up the hood of the car a little bit and look at the engine and understand how it works and why it does what it does. You know, so I'm thinking about questions like, are, how are we gonna continue to grow? As we continue to have new people coming into our community, it becomes more and more challenging to keep our circles open. We have to have processes and ministries that can help serve uh, people in order to build relationships, to foster new relationships, things like that, uh, all in the midst of the craziness of the world we live in. Um, I think, you know, thinking about how will we create more opportunities for people to grow and for people to serve. And, and then what will it take for us to multiply and impact our city and to make a difference in the world. So for these past four weeks, we've been talking about what the church is. We've been, we've been really kind of leaning into this question of our identity. What does it mean to be the church? Um, and then um, today I wanna start talking a bit about what the church does. You know, so far we've defined the church in a number of different ways. We've talked about how the church is a community of God's kingdom, right? God's kingdom is not the same thing as the church and the church is not the same thing as the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the dynamic rule and reign of God. But the church is the community that centers itself around King Jesus and his kingdom. We've also talked about how the church is the people of God. Our building is not the church. Amen? The building is not the church. The people are the church. And then last week we talked a little bit about this really countercultural concept of how the church is a family. It's a family, and the way that we interact with our biological family members, if we're healthy and we're doing the way we should, should impact the way that we think about 
about the church. So what does a community of God's kingdom do? Or, or if, if we are the people of God, what are the things that the people of God should be focused on? Or if we're a family, how should our family function? How should our family function? And in order to start answering some of these questions, so we're moving off of identity and who we are and now transitioning a bit into, okay, in light of who we are, what are the things that we do? What I want us to do this morning is to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can totally turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 11 through 21. It'll also be on the screen, but if you have a phone, iPad, or a paper Bible, we're going to read this passage here. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And Father, I now ask that your spirit would, would help us, Lord, to think and to come to terms with how we apply this passage of Scripture. Help us to, to do more than just know what the church is, but to do the works of the kingdom. Help us to live this out. And Lord, we also want to take a moment, as I'm just standing here thinking about those who are part of our community who are going through tremendous challenges right now or facing health um, concerns, Lord. We, we specifically pray for Randy. We pray that he would be healed, his cancer would be gone in the name of Jesus. We pray for Kathy's continued healing in her heart. Lord, I pray for Jamie Lewandowski, that her lungs would be absolutely healed and she would be released from the hospital today, Lord. And just for all the other people that we love and that we care about, God, would you bless them and draw each one of them closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So 
if we look at this text, we see that in many ways, Paul is calling us to be God's representatives of love. Um, you know, Paul had a really complicated relationship with the Corinthians. Um, so we have Bibles that have two letters from the, for the Corinthians, right? First Corinthians and second Corinthians, right? But Paul actually wrote four different letters to the Corinthians. And so these two made it into our Bibles. They're part of the Christian canon, but there's two other letters that he wrote that we don't know what they say. Some scholars think that perhaps one of the letters um, actually contains part of that letter. You know, there's just a lot of questions about what happened to those letters, but he has this really challenging relationship with the Corinthians. And, And there's a number of reasons why. I mean, despite all that Paul did for the Corinthians, he spent time in Corinth, he wrote letters to Corinth, he was trying to help them all the time to understand how to live their lives. Even though he had sacrificed so much and given up so much, the Corinthians, they were super enamored with these people who considered themselves super apostles. And so what happens is Paul's trying to teach them about the kingdom of God, and he's trying to help them to follow Jesus. And a group of really eloquent speakers come into town, and they're able to impress all the Corinthians with the words that they say. And the Corinthians are captivated by that. And they start to abandon some of the key things that that Paul had taught them. And so he's writing these letters in many ways to say, hey, listen, I know these super apostles are really impressive with their ministry, but the kingdom of God does not consist with words. It consists with power. And, And he spends a lot of time trying to call them back to what it means to be centered on Jesus what it means to be sacrificial and servant-minded because these super apostles were all about the prominence of their ministry and being served by the community rather than a focus on serving. And so I have always found the Corinthian letters really, really practical. I mean, these are letters that are just like when you're reading them and you see some of the challenges they have, you're like, wow, that is totally applicable today. We are just as weird. We're just as messed up. A lot of what Paul addresses to the Corinthians, though, is related to what kind of church are they going to be? In fact, that's a question that keeps coming up. And it reminds me, a friend of mine had, was pastoring a church for a really long time, and, and visitors would always come in, and, you know, one of the first things that people would ask is, you know, well, what kind of church is this? And oftentimes people do that here. I'm like, you know, so tell me more about the vineyard, you know, and, and what's, what is it that you believe? And we have a statement of faith. Our statement of faith, I think, is a, you know, very typical evangelical charismatic statement of faith that has, you know, reliance on the Bible, centrality of Jesus, importance of of certain beliefs that have always been held um, dear to our hearts. But I, I love this answer my friend would give. So people would ask that question, like, what's your church about? And he would say, hey, listen, I want to encourage you. Before I give you our brochure with all the details, why don't you hang out for a couple couple weeks? Hang out for a month. And if after a month, you don't know what we're about, we fail. We fail. And I've always been inspired by that in some reality because the point is, is that you should know who we are by the way that we function. Amen? And that's the whole point of our sermon series is that we should lean into our identity as people who have been radically transformed by the gospel, who have, who have come to terms with the value of grace, of mercy and of love, and then we should take that and we should share it with the world around us. Amen? And so we have this question of what kind of church are you going to be? 
And so what kind of church is the Corinthian church called to be? What should they be doing? Well, Paul makes this clear because he says this statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 14. He says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Other translations will talk about how love defines the Corinthians or it compelled the Corinthians or it urged the Corinthians on. And the whole entire point is that love was so central It was supposed to be so central to the Corinthians that when it came to thinking about what would describe the Corinthians, the word love should be central. And it's because of love that there's certain things that we're supposed to do. It's because of love there's certain things that we should do. And this is what Paul says. He says, first, we should be focused on persuading people. I I just noticed that when I was growing up, and I think this is somewhat probably why some of us have a little bit of church baggage. But when I was growing up, there was like, there was like a commitment to, and a sense of urgency to evangelism. Like I remember growing up with lots of people in my church community who were like, we have to let people know about Jesus. Because if people don't know about Jesus, they're going to burn in hell for eternity. I was like, gee, whoa. You know? But I, I wonder sometimes if we've, sent, if we've lost that sense of urgency a bit. Because Paul is talking about how we, because of love, this love compels us and we have to be focused on persuading people. And, and I think that there's plenty of biblical texts that, that warn us about coming judgment. I think in some ways, maybe our culture is like a little bit more afraid of talking about being naughty and going to hell. Like we don't talk about, do you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I think it's really interesting because... I think it's, it's, this is going to sound like I'm making a political statement, but I'm not. You know, there's a lot of discussion about focusing on giving people equal outcomes or equal opportunities. And I think the point is, is that we want to give people equal opportunities to respond to the gospel, right? We have to be persuaded and focused on sharing the gospel with people so that they can make a decision. And part of that is because we're concerned about the eternal fate. I mean, I just... I've done polls before. I don't think people want to go to hell, by the way. Is there anybody here who wants to go to hell? No, it's like, no. People don't want that. And so the other side of that coin is to avoid eternal damnation or being outside of the realm of God's salvation, however you want to phrase it. The really important thing is this, is that I have found that when people enter into a relationship with Jesus, it is transformative and life-giving. Right? That's why Jesus says, I have come to give them abundant life. Okay? And I've, I've watched people for 43 years, and I'm convinced that when people center themselves on Jesus and are living their lives for Jesus, they have joy. And it's joy that goes beyond explanation. Why is it that people can be suffering through some of the worst things imaginable but are centered on Jesus and still have joy? Why? Because Jesus satisfies us in a way that all of the things of the world cannot do. And so we have this, this focus on persuading people, that we, we have to have a value for seeing people enter into relationship with Jesus, which gets us to the second thing that I think Paul is focused in on, is it's focus on helping people experience new life and new beginnings. It's helping people do that. Like, I, I think that, you know, for a while now, we've talked about how following Jesus is a journey. That's the word that we use a lot. Or it's a process, right? Like no one like becomes a Christian and then has it all figured out. 
You might think you do, but you don't. And the more that you figure out, the more you realize you don't know anything. Right? It's like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think the common experience of coming to faith is like when we finally wake up one day and we realize who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we're like, man, I'm so smart for making that decision. Like, oh, my gosh. I was so lost, but I just know so much now because I finally clued in. But the more that you get to know about Jesus, the more that you engage with the work of the kingdom and the work of the spirit, the more that you realize that God has been working inside of you and that you have no reason to boast. Amen? You have no reason. There's no, it's all grace. It's God's grace at work in us. And so there's this, there's this focus on helping people experience new life and new beginnings that Paul is is challenging us to. And by the way, speaking of love, have any of you ever come to the place where you realize that love will make you do crazy things? Crazy things. Crazy things. Crazy things. <laughs> it's, it's like I was, I was thinking about that from the perspective of, you know, marriage and girlfriend and boyfriend things. And it's like, man, I'm so dumb sometimes. And then it's like you start having kids and you get even dumber, right? It's like, oh, well, there is no place in the world that you are unable to be tracked down, you know? And like, we just do crazy things. But look, look what Paul says here. This is interesting. Paul says in verse 13, he says, even if it seems we are crazy, this for, for the glory of God. Oh, I, I just love that verse. It made me feel so good about you all. It's like, oh, hey, look at this. Even if it seems we are crazy, it's for the glory of God. And here's the point is that many of the things that the world thinks are crazy are actually us being compelled by love. It's us being compelled by love. Like, for example, bless those who persecute you. That's a crazy term, isn't it? Or, or maybe forgive those who have, you know, done things to you. That seems crazy too. This is what this biblical scholar, Linda Belleville says. She says, there is a time, she's ta- commenting on this verse. She says, there is a time for conduct which appears mad to the world, but is in God's best interest. There is also a time for calm, sensible conduct, which is to the church's advantage. Paul was prepared to follow whichever advanced the cause of the gospel. And we see these things in the world around us. There's these, there's these tensions at work. There's these, there's these things that seem culturally to be absolutely crazy, but they're, they're us being compelled by love. And, and I, I think I've seen that with some of the interaction I've had with some of our friends in Ukraine. You know, just like I shared last week, last Saturday, I'm talking to, to a friend who has been in Ukraine, who's been seen missiles fly over his house and he's had to travel through all this stuff and yet there was like this really like um, strong stability in him. I'm like, man, I would be going crazy. And so it seems like you should be going going mad. It's mad not to be in that space. But that's the difference that the kingdom of God makes in us. And so we can become crazy with love. And I think we need to really lean into this love of God thing. Like it's funny to me how for six years, and previous to that, 12 years pastoring in another church, you want to know what I generally feel like God wants us to press into? It's God's love. Like when I pray, God, what is it that, 
that you want us to lean into. It's his love for us. It's his love for us. Why is that? Because we both need to know for ourselves, and we also have to know the implications of God's love for us so that we can share that with the world around us. That's why this identity purpose thing goes hand in hand. We need to know who we are so that we can help other people know who they are. Lots of people, I think, in today's day are confused by their identity. They're asking questions of, who am I? What am I? Why was I created? They want to know who they are. And you want to know who you are? Mostly, you are objects of God's love. That's who you are. You want to know who you are and why you were created? You were created by our creator to be loved by God. You were created so you could, you could know and experience God's love. And I just think that that's something that God constantly has us coming back to because I know in my own life, it is so easy to drift off that as a reality. Like, you know what I'm talking about? We all know, John 3, 16, for God's love the world, right? Do we really know what that means? Do you really know how deeply loved by God you are? And if you don't, I think that's the invitation that Paul is challenging us to both experience for ourselves, but also to give to other people. Love is so powerful and transformative, and I just have to believe that if we continue being people who are compelled, urged, guided by love, it will make a difference in the world around us. David Benner says this. I love this quote. He says, love reconnects us to life. The truth of Christ's life is that life is love and love is life. There is no genuine life without love. Self-interest suffocates life. Life implodes when self-interest is at the core. This is why the kingdom of self is based on death. Ultimately, taking care of number one takes care of no one. For the only way to truly care for myself is to give myself in love of others. There I will find my truest and deepest fulfillment. You know, for the past few weeks, I've been suggesting that we really do need to understand our identity in order to understand our calling. And what I've been trying to say is that if we can come to terms with who we are, we can better come to terms with what we should be doing. We can better come to terms with what we should be doing. So this is what Paul says at the end of 2 Corinthians in our passage. He says these words. Paul writes, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Listen to these words for you. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Do you hear how beautiful that message is? We live in a world that counts your sins against you, don't you? Like we live in a world where man canceling is happening so quickly. We have a long list of everything you've ever done from any point in your life. And the minute it gets exposed, you are done. But what does the kingdom of God tell us? That your sins are no longer counted against you in Christ Jesus. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Paul writes that God, God reconciled Paul to Christ. God reconciled you and I in Christ to himself, okay? And then 
God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the most amazing statement. The reconciled become reconcilers. That's the whole point of this thing. And we say this all the time. We have been loved so we can give it away. We have received grace so we can give it away. We have been given mercy so we can give it away, right? I mean, that's the whole point of this thing. The loved are loved so they can give it away. And did you notice the flow of the kingdom always starts from God? God reconciled us. God reconciled us and it flows toward us and then it goes outward. In the Greco-Roman world, in the world where Paul was writing, it was the exact opposite. People living in the Greco-Roman world, they had to try to connect with the gods. And along comes Jesus who says, guess what? God so loved the world that he sent me to this place so I could bring you salvation. It's God initiating this whole entire thing, and that's why we're called to be humble. So this is essentially, I think, getting us to really lean into what our calling is. This is really helping us, I think, better understand our calling. So I want to switch gears for just a moment, because I don't know about you, but when I think about, and I truly believe this is like when I really think about the implications of gospel of the gospel it's pretty overwhelming emotionally like just can I just be honest with you for a minute yeah you suck you're broken you got issues you're messed up you're sinful you say things you shouldn't say you think things you shouldn't say you do things you shouldn't do right and yet even those those though those things are true God loves you. Oh my gosh, the creator of the universe loves you so much that he would do anything. He was willing to go to the greatest lengths so that he could have a relationship with us. It is overwhelming. And that's why there's people who are awakened by the truth of the gospel who just sit there and weep. They just weep because they know who they are. They know what they've been redeemed from. And all throughout church history, there are men and there are women who have come to know Jesus and have come to know that grace and they have been transformed by it. And then what happens? They are so impacted by it. They want to take that love and give it away to the world around them. And that's our calling. That's our calling. That is who we are, folks. You are loved by God and you are called to love others. You are called to love others. Let's stand up together. I had this friend when I was growing up, and uh, I don't know why this has been, I've been having a lot of conversations about my younger days lately, because people are like, you know, so what were you like when you were younger? I'm like, don't ever ask my mom that question. <laughs> but I, I was an ice hockey player, so I grew up playing ice hockey, and um, the thing about ice hockey players is that we like punching people in the face. It's just, it's just true, like we are very fit, like hitting and that's why I didn't play a lot of football, but I've always liked watching football because just that aggressive, like, oh. So I grew up, you know, just in that world. And so I had a lot of friends that were, like, really rough around the edges. Like, fighting was just part of the world that I grew up in. And, I mean, that will probably help you understand why sometimes I can be a little aggressive, okay? And it's not because I want to punch you in the face for real. 
It's just naturally, yeah. And, and, I, and I grew up around all these really rough, rough people. And um, I lived in a community where a lot of people would say that they were Christian. You know, like there were, I think in our a town of 1,200 people that we pastored for a long time. The joke was that when it came to ethnic diversity, we had Catholics and Lutherans. And uh, they were all white, but there was Catholics and Lutherans. And it was like, I don't know, 60% Catholic and 40% Lutheran. And so a lot of people had like church backgrounds, essentially, to some degree. Like they had gone to CCD or had gone to catechism training. But, you know, by by the time we were in high school, like there were there was, you know, not a whole lot of people who had really had a relationship with Jesus and were like involved in that. And I was 18 years old. And and what had happened for me is I grew up in the church and I had, you know, been around church world for a really long time and had seen all the church things. And I knew all the answers to church things. And, but I wasn't really living for Jesus. And when I was 16 years old, I had this really like transformative encounter with God to where I was, I was like deeply touched by the gospel. And I was like, I want to live my life for Jesus. And so from 16 to 18 years old, I was trying to do that. And I remember as a sports guy, because I would no longer participate in locker room banter, I lost all my friends. And when I was 18 years old, you know, I was pretty much had like all these new Christian friends who didn't like to fight. They're kind of boring. But I had this one friend, though, who um, started to reach out to me. His name is Bruce. And he's like, hey, man, let's hang out. We haven't hang out, hung out for a couple of years. And I was like, all right, cool. And Bruce was a little bit older than me. He was the toughest guy I'd ever met in my life. In fact, he was the guy that if you were going to get in a fight with, you made sure that Bruce was with you because he could just beat everybody up and you'd just be like, oh, sweet. And so Bruce called me. He's like, hey, let's get together. And we started hanging out. And I remember the first time we, we got together, he just basically said, listen, Luke, my life is a train wreck. I'm 19 years old. I can't stop drinking. My parents have kicked me out and I'm living in my car. And, you know, we started just talking. And, and over the course of these conversations, it became really clear that he was so desperate to get out of that cycle of brokenness and, and addiction and, and hopelessness. He, is, he was willing to do anything. And this one night, I, I picked him up. And up until this point, I had never personally, like, led someone to Jesus. We got in a car and we drove and we were just talking and, and I all of a sudden just felt like the Lord said, this is the moment. This is the moment. And you know, like my hands got all sweaty. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I just looked at him and I just said, man, can I just read a Bible verse for you? And I read Ephesians chapter 2 and Paul basically says, you were dead. You were enslaved to your sins. But God is so gracious and so loving that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's the gospel. And I asked him, I looked at him, and this, this guy, Bruce, I mean, he was, again, huge, ripped, beat up anybody. And he started bawling his eyes out like a baby, just saying, I want that. And so we prayed, and, and he made a decision to follow Jesus. And that was the moment where I was like, that feeling of helping someone else come to experience hope and salvation and, and love and mercy and grace is better than anything that the world has to offer. And I'm telling you right now that our church has a purpose and a calling in our community. We are called to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And another way I get to it is that we are called to be loved by Jesus and to give that love 
away. Amen? And so I want to pray for you. And I'm just going to encourage you to close your eyes if that would help you to, uh, you know, focus on what God's doing in your life. Or maybe even to posture your heart a little bit in a way that is open to receiving from Him and to hear from Him. Before we pray for any any needs or any of those things that God may want to do right now, is there anybody in this room right now who has not made a personal decision to follow Jesus? That's the question. Is there anybody in this room who has yet to, to make a conscious decision to turn from from the life of hopelessness, the life of, of, of frustrations and disappointment and, and the, the life of, of, of sin and messiness and all that stuff that's bogging you down and, and making the decision to follow Jesus. And if you're here this morning and that's you, if you, you know who you are. If you have yet to make that decision, I want to tell you a couple things. Look, I, I don't know how to make this more clear, but I have a burden on my heart this morning. You are so deeply loved by God. You are so deeply loved by God. And you have been in a cycle, and you have been struggling, and you have been questioning, and you have been stuck, and you have been unable to get to a place where you are able to receive God's love. And this morning, I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. And so if you have yet to make that decision, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in heaven. You might be scared. You might be unsure of what's going to happen next. But I'm going to tell you right now, on behalf of everybody in this room, we would love for nothing more than for you to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, if you are saying, I have not done that yet, I need to do that, and I want to do that, I'm going to ask you to do one thing right now. I'm going to ask you just to put your hand up right now and say, yes, I have never before repented of my sins, turned from those sins, and made a decision to follow Jesus. Is there anybody in the room that has yet to do that? It does not matter how long you've been going to church. Doesn't matter, know the Bible verses you know. If you have yet to make a personal decision to follow Jesus, we do not want you to not have an opportunity. Okay. So if you um, want to know more about that later, I do want to talk to you about that. So here's the second thing if there are people in this room, maybe who you have not been centered on Jesus for a while. The thing about repentance is that it's a lifelong practice for followers of Jesus where we constantly recenter ourselves. That's what repentance is, to turn away from and to turn toward Jesus. If it's been a while since you said yes to Jesus and you want to say yes to Jesus right now, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that too. You can call it rededication. You can call it, you can call it moving closer to Jesus. I don't really care. But if that's what you want to do right now, I want to pray for you. And so, Father, I pray for anybody in this room right now that is having a sense of recentering, recalibrating their life around Jesus and the kingdom. We 
would you, by your spirit, right now, empower them to be able to live their lives for the cause of Christ. And this is what I want to close this in prayer with, is, is to pray for just a few moments for our loved ones. I, I just have the sense that there's a number of us in this room who have really have a heaviness for some, some people in our lives, whether it's a family member or maybe it's someone that you work with or maybe it's someone you just see on a regular basis, but you just have this burden for them and you you don't know what words to say and you don't know what acts to do, but you just can't stop thinking about them. And if, if that's you, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for you and pray for those people. And so is there anybody that would say, that's totally me. I have some, I have some burdens upon my heart. So here's what I'd love to do is I'd love to just um, have you just put your hand up and keep it up. And, you know, what we constantly are wanting to demonstrate and to live out here at the Vineyard is our theology of everybody who's a follower of Jesus gets to do the stuff. Everybody gets to play. There's no superhuman Christians, super you know heroes in our church. And so if you look around right now, keep your hand up. If you see somebody around you that's got their hand up and you're comfortable, why don't you just go, and even if you've never done this before, I'm gonna, I'll help you right now. Okay, so if you've never prayed for somebody, look around. There's a couple people right here. There's some people over there. You have to move though. You have to pretend that your chair is not the only domain you're allowed to be in. Just move around and get involved in the game. Is there anybody else that would like prayer? Somebody over there? Yep. Okay, so if you don't have somebody praying for you, put your hand up higher because you're really short and no one can see you. Okay, right here. Pat, Grandma Pat is right there. Oh, you're out, okay. So here's what we're going to do. If you've never prayed before, um, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for the kingdom to come. And so we pray, just pray right now. Say, Father, we pray that your kingdom would come right now for each one of these people who are asking for more of your help, more of your presence, and more of your spirit. And then now you can just, if you feel feel led, you can pray for God to help them to be able to have the words to say to help them to know what things to do. And so, Lord, we do pray for each one of these folks right now who are who have a burden on their hearts. Would you help them, Lord, to say the right words and to do the things that would effectively communicate your grace, your mercy, your truth, and your love? And Lord, as we transition from this space of being gathered in a formal setting of worship, Lord, we're going to leave and go out into the world. And so it's my prayer, Lord, that we would be aware of, of the people around us, those people that are, are the Bruces in our life who, have, who are stuck, who are feeling hopeless, who are feeling confused, who are struggling with addictions or relationship issues or 
just, just need you. Would you give all of us more awareness, more sensitivity, and more willingness to take risks for Jesus? I pray that your spirit would fill each one of us on a regular basis, would empower us, would give us the words to say, would give us um, impressions, visions, dreams, Lord, whatever it is that we need to be nudged, Lord. Help us to see the things that you're doing around us. I pray a blessing for every person in here. I pray for you to bring healing, to bring reconciliation, to bring redemption to everything that all of us are wrestling with. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people who agreed said amen. Folks, have a great week. We love you all, and we'll see you next Sunday.